huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. This is Rob Moore here with a completely different episode. I've been asked to comment on this particular subject a lot in the communities that I'm in, from the followers of the podcast and the readers of my books. And it's something I've kind of not shied away from, but steered away from, because I never felt like I had enough experience, even though I'd read and learned a lot about it. And therefore, the title of this episode is Raising Positive Kids. Now, I'd just like to sort of disclaim and state up front that I see this more as a discovery and an ongoing conversation that we can have. So this isn't a, a hard and fast set of rules, although I'm pretty passionate about some of them. I've got 17 things to share with you. This might end up being a two-parter. And I'd be really keen to, for us to engage on my Facebook page, on the, my Twitter page, in the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community and wherever else we kind of communicate and continue this, this, this subject of raising positive kids, because who doesn't want to? But, you know, you've got some people who say that, well, you, you know, there's no manual for raising kids. I mean, uh, you just learn as you do it. And I, I don't agree with that. I think that I would agree that nothing quite prepares you for having kids like having kids. And no matter how much preparation you've done, you know, it's not just about painting the bedroom pink or blue. It's kind of a bit, you get some real shocks, culture shocks, and no, no books that you can read or seminars that you can go on or experts that you can follow can, or can prepare you fully for that. I'd agree with that part, but I do really believe you can learn, study from experts or, or people who've just raised great kids who you think are you know, really great human beings because they've trodden the path and they've been there. So I suppose this is our first deep dive together into raising positive kids. Now, a lot of people ask me because obviously I'm in personal development, if that's the word you want to call what I do. And, you know, this podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, is about becoming a better entrepreneur. And probably half of us listening, your parents and the other half are hopefully going to be one day. Um, So I really passionately believe about getting our children into personal development or sort of being able to control the mindset, you know, understanding the difference between cause and effect. And, and really, you know, that world where you know you can take control of your life. I really think that's important to raise our kids that way from a very early age. 
So I have 17 things to go through. Another big disclaimer is I've, I've only been a parent for five and a third years. I'm learning all the time. So maybe some of these 17 things I say are very much more relevant to younger kids. I'll try and keep it relevant to all children of all ages. And like I said, if you think there are any experts that I should be interviewing on this podcast, or if you, you'd like to ask me any questions or you'd like an, another few parts of this, I'm open. So let's have this as a discussion. I'd love your thoughts. I'd love your experiences. Every parent is qualified to give advice in what they've done well and not well. So let's crack on. So first step, number one is accept that your children teach you as much as you teach them. I have a lot of naive delusional fantasies. I'm I'm quite a dreamer and I always get into this mode of thinking how great things are going to be and how easy things are going to be. And um, that could be good, but that could be really bad. And I, I remember as Bobby could start to walk and talk, kind of assuming that I would be his teacher and he would be my student. Uh, idiot. What an idiot I was. Because you'll all know if you're parents and if you're not, stay listening, by the way, if you're not, because, you know, this is kind of personal development for everyone, but you're probably going to be a parent one day. They teach you as much as you teach them. And, and that's one of the greatest gifts of having children is that you continue to learn and grow as a person. You develop new skills. You handle situations which are intense. I mean, you'll know as a parent, that you, the kids, they put you in intense situations in front of everyone, full on meltdown, where, you know, total losing it in the most embarrassing public situations ever. And if you can pick them up with a happy face and thanks for the feedback and carry on as normal, and if you can do that, you can do anything. And I've really loved learning about myself and my limits. I've loved learning about getting new skills. Definitely patience is something that raising a kid, a child, a child really teaches you, and I'm not the most patient person. And... So I think because if you get into I'm their teacher and they're my student, I'm their parent and they're my child mode, that it can be a bit directive and you know your children, uh, you know, they do not respond well to you keep telling them what to do. So I think that's a really useful thing that we can all learn from. And, and, and it just means that every day is a, a school day when it comes to, to children, if you like. And, and there's always some, some new beauty and mystery. OK, number two, then is they are not there to do what you tell them. That is not their function. And by the way, oh, good luck with that. Now, I think there's two main areas we've got where we instruct our children, and that's things that are most important for their health, safety and well-being, and then there's everything else. Uh, so, well, maybe there's three things. There's health, safety and well-being, there's values and vision, and then there's everything else. And you'll know what it's like if you're trying to influence someone or you're trying to persuade, you've probably got a certain amount of goodwill that you can use before you become persistent, annoying, or nagging. And I certainly, almost if I had a camera looking at myself, think, oh, I hate myself right now. I just sound like a nag. I sounded like the parent I never wanted to be. And that's how it can be, because we're telling them what to do on everything. And you know they resist, not, not just when they're 15 and they're a teenager, by the way, but you know from like one. So... I guess what I would say is, one, when you understand that that's not their function, their function isn't to be your slave. Now, I think a lot of parents think it is because they're trying to raise good kids with good values to behave well and be respectful and behave well in public. But the thing is, they are their own unique individual, just like you are, just like your partner, husband, wife, fiancé, fiancé is. And so if they did everything you said, they would become a mirror of you 
And one of you wouldn't serve a purpose on this planet because you'd be exactly the same. And if they didn't challenge you, you wouldn't grow. And so therefore, they need to self-actualize, i.e. they need to become who they are. And a lot of that is exploration, rebellion, and all these things that, you know, we kind of, a lot of the times we want to kind of dissuade them from doing, but, but we need to allow them to do. But then there's safety and security and health, of course, like eating the right foods and being safe on the roads and things like that. Now, that's where you need to almost save up the bank of telling them what to do. And if you have to be very instructional and very directive and firm, okay. If you're like that with everything, it becomes nothing and it dilutes into they'll just ignore everything. So something to think about. They serve to help you grow as much as you serve to help them grow. They serve to challenge you as much as you serve to challenge them. Therefore, there'll always be a challenge. So don't expect them to do what you say and save up the goodwill bank of instruction. Number three, then, is they're not to be a mini you. Their purpose is not to be a mirror of who you are. Now, we live vicariously through our children. My son was on ITV, which is a major UK TV channel because he's uh, the, probably the best five-year-old golfer in the world. He qualified for the World Under Six Championships a year early. And so the, the TV wanted, you know, a lot of him and they interviewed me and they kind of got me to admit in the national TV that I'm living golf as a failed golfer vicariously through my son. And I thought about that a lot before he was born and it, what was right for him as well. And I think we've got that balance. I think if you want them to do everything that you wanted to do and who you are and who you want to be, then you're living too much through who you want to be and they're not, they're, they're not therefore becoming their own unique individual. But the experiences you've had in your life that form who you are and your values and what you think is right and wrong and how you want to raise your children, you're allowed to project onto your children. But the thing is, you're doing it and your husband or wife, your partner is doing it and they've got a different value set from you. And then when they hang out with their sister, if their sister is older or their brother is older, their brothers are, and sisters who are older are imposing their values upon them. So the poor younger child has got all these different values from you, your mum, their older siblings, their teachers and everyone else. No wonder they're so confused. I mean, I would be. So balancing, instilling great values and becoming the best parts of you, i.e. the parts you've owned, the parts you're good at, the parts about how you were raised by your parents that you liked, and then obviously the anti-raising from the things you didn't like. Yes, raise your children like that, but accept and allow that the, your partner's going to be instilling their values too. And that, so they're therefore going to become this unique individual and they are not a mini you. And that's hard, isn't it, for a parent to accept that they are their own individual. And so all the things that children are great to do, like exploration and curiosity, and we need to allow them some of that to become and self-actualise who they are. It's interesting because I look at my kids, Bobby and Ariana, two and five, and they, they couldn't be more different. And I, I guess I kind of naively thought that my children would be quite similar because maybe they'd be a bit like me or a bit like Gemma. But we've got one real introvert in Bobby and we've got one real extrovert in Ariana. We've got one who's quite safe, more like his mum, Bobby, and one who's a total risk taker in Ariana, like to, more than me probably as an entrepreneur. And that creates the family dynamic. And the family, family dynamic, again, it's not supposed to have people who've got the same values. So if you're, you, you, you won't be married to someone who has the same values. Now, I don't want to go on marriage here, but there will be values of, of your partner that challenge you, that, you know, that, that the parts you've disowned can challenge your ego or make you feel guilt, doubt, 
fear, shame, or whatever. And the kids will do that to you, and you'll do that to your kids, and you'll do that to your parents. And that's the family dynamic. Because in order to grow and evolve, we need to grow and contribute. And to grow, we become separate cells, so, i.e. more complicated and concentrated value sets. Because if you think about it way back in caveman, survival, procreation, that was, they were the, probably the two values. If you could, I mean, you, you couldn't go back then and say, hey, so what's most important to you in your life, Mr. Caveman? <laughs> but, you know, they, they, were, they were just very top line, generic, simple, not many values. And as we've evolved as a species, our values have become more highly concentrated and specialised. You know, if you think about cars, you know, like it used to be a Model T Ford in black or black. And now Mercedes have about 65 or 70 different models of cars. So as a species, we are hyper-specialising and that's the separating of cells from a biological point of view. So therefore, you need to allow your child to be a unique individual who they are taking on a mix of their surroundings. So that's why I think it's really important to put them in a great school. That's why I think it's so important to make sure who they hang around with is really important. You want to make sure they have mental figures of parents, of their friends, and kind of control elegantly who they hang around with, because those people are going to influence their values too. Uh, You know, I really believe that's what I, I chose to put my children through private school. I'm not saying that that's the right thing, but choose the school wisely, choose the area wisely. I do think that's really, really important. Okay, and then they become this, their own unique, beautiful individual, which they'll teach you as much as you teach them, and you'll love them for being different and unique. If you want them to be a vision of you, you'll end up probably not loving them as much as you could, and that doesn't serve them the best. Okay, so number four, and this is the part that I think every parent really wrestles and struggles with, and there's some paradoxical irony and humour in this. Any part of you that you've disowned, any part of you that you haven't got to grips with, that you, you've got low self-worth in or whatever, your kids will challenge that. They will stoke it like sticking a finger in a wound. And you know that, you've experienced that, I'm sure, as a parent. And so that is them challenging you to grow, to become a, a self-actualised individual, i.e. The, the maximum of your own human potential. And that's, that is a purpose within the, the family dynamic. So you need to learn to grow through that and accept that they'll challenge that. And hmm, it certainly is a challenge. I'm I'm thinking of some examples I can, which uh, still challenge me to this day. For example, I sometimes feel now that my new purpose on this planet is to be my my son's own personal biatch. Like I am supposed to be his slave. I'm supposed to follow him around the golf course, picking up his clubs that he chucks on the floor, picking up all the wrappers for the, the sweets that he drops. Uh, we're in the golf buggies, pulling all of his cars and his dinosaurs around with him, which I'll have to carry. And I sometimes feel like I'm his entourage. And that can frustrate me because that's not what I'm used to in business. And here's the irony. Other people in my business, you know, we've got 50 odd staff and 70 odd outsource staff. They probably sometimes feel like that about me. So I've got that comfort and security and everything in business. So of course, I'll be challenged with it at home. And so... That's how it's going to be. You're going to be the master at work and you're going to be the slave at home. You're going to be the master at home. You're going to be the slave at work because that's the natural balance. So I don't know if you can relate to any of those. Like, I don't know if you've, you're ever OCD about anything, but good luck with that if you're uh, raising kids. I mean, I remember we refurbed our new house and we spent a load of money on it, like hundreds of thousands of pounds. All this beautiful paint 
what is it, Farrow and Ball paint, all this fancy paint. And, you know, I, I won't go into it, but, you know, we, we painted the banister. Uh, I don't know what they call them. They call them balustrades. I don't know. The, the supports to the banister, lovely, gloss white. And then the, the part of the banister, a beautiful matte grey. It looked beautiful, like something out of a magazine. And then the kids with their sticky fingers marking all the walls. The walls got this fancy name paint. You know, there's stupid pounds a metre. I've got this stripy carpet that's 150 pound a metre. And the kids are walking up and down in their shoes and I'm like, ah! and they're messing up the CDs and they're pulling out all the books and they don't respect the fact that I've got them in alphabetical and colour-coded order. Ah! <laughs> and you just got to get over that. And so, okay, maybe you're not as freakishly OCD as me. But anything that you have order in, your children will probably bring chaos to. And letting go of that control is a great part of growth of becoming a great parent. Okay, number five. I think this is a really important one. You will make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. Don't beat yourself up about it. You'll shout about to them when you had a, you read a bad email or you'd had a bad day and you, ju- you dumped it on them. That makes you a human being. That doesn't make you a bad person. At number 17, to get out of jail free car, by the way, which you'll probably come to on part two of this episode of Raising Positive Kids. Forgive yourself. You're going to do it. No, there's not, there's, there's not a saint parent on the planet that hasn't done it. There's benefit to it, by the way. Everything that happens as you raise your children, as long as it's obviously safe, there's a higher order and purpose of it. So if you're overly hard on them, that will toughen them up. And you'll feel guilty about it later, maybe. I mean, I certainly do. But that will, have, that will serve them to toughen them up. If you're overly soft on them, you might feel good and fluffy and cuddly about that. But the downside might be that they become overly dependent. So you'll make mistakes, you'll get angry with them, you'll do things that, that you're not supposed to do. That's the, just accept that that was the way it was supposed to be. Forgive yourself, love yourself for it anyway. Give yourself some feedback, move on, just try and learn next time. I've got a, a very specific story about this that you, you might find quite funny. So I have this little technique that, uh, from when Bobby's been basically two, which is we'd go and play golf and I'd get a Kit Kat or a Twix and uh, I'd sort of reward him with Kit Kats or Twixes for good shots. Now, obviously I'm trying to balance him loving golf without needing a carrot and a stick, but also with incentives, because at the end of the day, human beings work on incentives. And so if he did some good shots, I'd give him a bite of Kit Kat or Twix or whatever, and it's, it's kind of become a, a little bit of a running funny joke within our within Peterborough and everyone who knows me. It's like he calls it uh, Twigs instead of Twix, and people think it's hilarious, and I suppose it is. Anyway, so he was having one full-on meltdown. I was probably being shown some very bad parenting skills. It's embarrassing when it's on the golf course and everyone can watch, and sometimes you just can't help it. Anyway, he'd have been rolling around on the green and doing stupid stuff, and I just lost it, and I got out his Twix, and I went, you see this, you little... And I probably dropped the F-bottom on him. And I went, you're not having any of this. And I picked it up and I threw it as hard as I could into the trees. Now have some Twix. Now see if you can have some Twix, you little... And he burst out crying. And I immediately felt absolutely awful. And he ran off into the trees crying. And I stood there and I was like, oh, man, I feel awful about this. This is terrible. And I started walking towards, and he was in the trees for ages. And I'm like, oh, man, am I, you know, because you, you start worrying about, are you going to lose him? What's going to happen? And he came running out of the trees with a massive smile on his face. And he found the Twix and he had the Twix in his hand. Hey, Daddy, I found the Twix. And he started eating it. 
And because I started laughing hysterically and he started laughing and, and everything was fine. So, you know, these things happen. There'll probably be fun stories you tell. Obviously, what you're going to try and do as a parent is you're going to try not to let anything that's happening in your life emotionally be dumped baggage onto your children. You know, sometimes you need to be stern. Sometimes, you know, if they're running out in the road, you need to shout at them. You need to shock them. But if, if you're doing it coming from a place of love from them rather than an re- emotional reaction, that's ideally where you want to be. But of course, we're all human beings. Say la vie. Things will happen. Forgive yourself and love yourself for it. Okay, number six is how do you actually want to raise your children? Have you got a, a vision for how you want to raise your children? Because just telling them whimsically what to do and not to do will confuse them because you'll probably end up contradicting yourself. So a great way to do this is to create a family values list. So if you sit down with your partner, and obviously if you're now no longer with your partner, so you're divorced, then obviously you can only impact what you, you can impact. But it's probably quite a wise move to try and have a good relationship with your ex. And if you haven't got one, try and connect with your ex and, and speak to them about how you want to raise your children because you both have vested interest in that. And that can be a great way to connect you back. So what are the five, ten things values, you know, like respect, love, honour, growth, personal development, happiness, whatever. And I didn't want to, don't want to list too many words because I don't want to project onto you what they should be. They should be what you and your partner agree, how you should raise your children. We're all raising unique individuals, so they shouldn't all be the same. So don't let me project what they are. But you, you strategically write them down. You order them into terms of the number one that's the most important it might be love or it might be, you know, our family love, support, whatever. And you write the list of values and that's how you raise your kids and use it almost like as your template or your checklist. Because we're human beings and we're emotional creatures. And when we get emotional, we forget what we had planned logically and we just go into full on reactive mode based on, you know, the, the, the moving away from pain or the moving towards pleasure. Uh, you know, I've seen people put their family values on their walls, which I think is a great thing. Uh, you know, they, um, they, they do family goals and go through their family values over Christmas or Thanksgiving or special occasions, birthdays. I think that's a great thing to do as well. Uh, you know, how, how can that hurt and how can that only be good? So number six is create your, a set of family values for your family to live by. Because here's the great thing about that. You'll do that thinking that's how you're raising your kids and your child, they will give you some feedback and they'll call you out on it and help you, it'll help you live to your own values better. I was playing golf with Bobby in his first ever world championships just last week. I'm currently in Santa Monica looking over the beautiful seascape. I'm in between two world championships, so quite a relevant time to talk about raising positive kids. And I was playing in the, in the last one with Bobby and we were on about the 14th hole and he was starting to mess about a lot because it, it, that happens and I was... I try not to use the stick too much, but in the end, I'll just use the the tool that my fiance taught me, which is confiscation. Confiscating cars and dinosaurs seems to get him to do things very quickly. And I just made a little gentle threat. Look, Bobby, we've got to get on with this. Please don't make me confiscate your cars. And and then he said to me, Daddy, that's naughty to say that. That's not very nice. If you say that again, I'm going to confiscate your laptop and phone. (laughs) And it's funny how kids can just get you. So they'll hold you accountable to those values as much as you'll hold them accountable, which is a great gift. Okay, number seven then is repetition. Now, repetition causes memory and habit. And if you tell them one things once or twice, then you know it's not going to sink in. They say, don't they, that it's some, somewhere between seven and 11 times convincer, i.e. someone needs to be told or seen something seven to 11 times to act on it. Well, if you're a parent listening, you know that's rubbish. It's at least 59, at least. 
but repetition creates memory. So it's good to have six or eight main family values and just repeat, 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 repeat. Not to the point where you're nagging, but repeat till they get it. When you're telling stories, repeat the thing in the story that you want them to get. If you just tell them a story once and then move on, then it's probably not going to sink in. But I do experiments all the time with, with Bobby and I did one just the, in his final round of his first world championship. So his first round went okay. He was actually winning after nine holes and the, the kids older than him hit it way further. So it was amazing that he was winning after the first round, but he, he had a couple of bad holes in the back nine and he was rushing some shots and he was getting a bit floppy. And I thought, well, if I keep telling him to focus, concentrate, do this, he, he doesn't even know what a lot of those things mean. So how can I get Bobby to be a bit less floppy? How can I be, because if you say less floppy, he's just going to be more floppy. And how can I get him to swing a bit shorter and faster? So one thing that when you're trying to raise your children to memorise things or take on values is sell it to them based on what they love the most. So if you sell it, so for at the moment, Bobby's favourite thing is dinosaurs and cars. So whether your children are 15 or five or whatever age, whatever they're interested in the most is your vehicle to sell them the idea or the value that you want to sell them. So I thought, well, how can I get Bobby to do this through dinosaurs? And I wanted Bobby to be a bit shorter and faster with his pitching wedge shot because then he'd get a better connection and get a better chip and he wouldn't thin it. So I was asking Bobby, Bobby, what's the shortest and fastest dinosaur? And he lined them all up for me and we're playing. He's lined up his 20 dinosaurs. And I'm, hmm. So Bobby, which is the shortest, fastest dinosaur? And I was repeating that a few times. Hmm. And he said, the Dilophosaurus, Daddy. And then I, I went, what, the Dilophosaurus? No, Daddy, the Dilophosaurus. The Dipliodocus? No. The, and we, we just played that game and we had a bit of a laugh about it. Because remember, you, if you get your kids to teach you, then obviously they, they're in a, a, a positive state then because they love to learn. And so we played this game for about 10 or 15 minutes. And in the end, we'd said Dilophosaurus about 50 times was a short and fast dinosaur. So when we went out on the golf course, I was testing, saying, well, why don't you do a Dilophosaurus swing? And immediately he's there doing the short or faster swing. And, you know, that'll work for a few days and then there'll be a new challenge. But that seemed to work. So repetition equals memory and use the things they're interested in to sell the rep repetitive memory, the lesson that you want them to get. This is like with memory and repetition, stories are better than instruction. So number eight is facts tell, stories sell. So if you tell them what to do, they'll resist you. You know what it's like. I mean, I see Bobby at school and he's so subservient and he's scared of getting told off and he just does whatever he's told and he's the most idyllic, beautiful little child. And then he comes home and he totally contrarians me. And Gemma says, well, that's what you're like, so you can't expect anything different. And, and I'm like, wow, he's a totally different guy at school to what he is at home. And that's, you probably get a bit in instruction mode as a parent, a bit in nagging mode. So early in the morning or late at night is when our brains, our subconscious minds are most malleable to instruction or influence. So they're the best times that you can sit down with your children and through storytelling, use your elegant, gentle influence, whether your children are young and you're reading them stories and you're sowing the, the seeds in the story. So I went and bought all the, the golf books that I could for the, you could read to two, three and four year olds. And I changed the name of all the protagonists to Bobby Moore. The one's called Buzz Beaker, so we call him Buzz Bobby Beaker. Uh, and so we changed the name to Bobby and we talk about the world championships and anything I want him to learn on the golf course, I'll, I'll set in the scene of the story. And he's so much more open to that and memorises that than me telling him what to do. Now, if your children are teenagers, speaking to, to them quite late or early in the morning, if you can, 
and using stories and analogies rather than instructions will really help. Now, that takes a bit of planning. And by the way, a story isn't, oh, well, when I was your age, young man, this is what I used to do that worked. You don't want stories of yourself because they will totally resist to that. Facts tell, stories tell, early in the morning, late at night, and make it third person of someone else, you'll be onto a winner. Okay, number nine, and we're, this is definitely going to be a two-parter. So I'm going to do finish on number 10, and then we'll do, get to number 17 on, on part two. So number nine is they get told to do, they get told what to do all day, every day, at school, at university, at college. So when they come home, let them tell you what to do. Don't tell them what to do all the time. And, you know, you kind of... I sometimes think, well, why is he like that? Why won't he listen to me? Why can't he go, let him rebel the teachers and listen to me? And of course, that's not how the game works. So uh, one of uh, the golf coaches at my local golf course, Gary, he said that a lot. He said, look, they get told to do everything all day at school. So when he comes to golf, let him have fun, let him explore, let him be curious. If, if he wants to go in the bunker and mess about in the bunker and if he wants to pick up the flags and move them around, if he wants to do this and wants to do that, let him do it. And he'll enjoy it and, you know, it engages in exploration and curiosity that all kids have that we can all learn from. So maybe a bit, be a bit less instructional with them at home, especially on school days. Weekends, it's a bit different because they haven't been to school and they haven't been told what to do all day. So maybe that could be a bit different. But that was just something really insightful I learned from Gary at the golf course. OK, now, number 10 is quite controversial. And I'm going to stick my flag in the ground here and disagree with most of the planet. So most people think the purpose of life is happiness. And therefore, they think that the purpose of raising their kids is I just want them to be happy. And I'd like to challenge that, if you like. Now, remember, this is a conversation, not me telling you how it is being a parent. So I'm, I'm OK for a debate on this. But I do believe quite strongly in this. Now, if our purpose was to be happy, scientifically, what happens is you get these chemicals that are kicked off in your brain. Serotonin, no, sorry, dopamine, etc. Endorphins. Serotonin sleep, isn't it? Yes. So you have these uh, endorphins, dopamine chemicals in your brain, which make you feel a certain way, make you feel happy. And when you feel happy, you feel content, you feel satisfied. And if the whole planet felt happy, content and satisfied, and your kids felt happy, content and satisfied every minute of every day, then no, there would be no progress. We would have no need to cure of any disease. We would have no need to solve the big, meaningful problems in the world. Nothing would happen, we'd all sing Kumbaya, and we'd all die out as a species within a generation. Now, by the way, a bit of a disclaimer here, I am not saying we should not strive for happiness, but the striving is the important part. You know you felt the most happy, contented, rewarded, proud, whatever, when something's been hard and you've gone through challenge. That's because maximum human growth is on the border between support and challenge, order and chaos. And so you want to be very careful not to project just happiness, because happiness isn't growth and progress, but actually, scientifically and chemically, it's been proven, David J. Lieberman studied this a lot, if you read on his work, that happiness he defines is progress towards a worthy goal. So your children are not meant to be happy all the time. Now, I'm going to explain why and what that means in part two of Raising Positive Kids. So sorry for the cliffhanger, but I thought that'd be a good place to stop. Uh, so tune in for the next episode where we'll finish part 10 on the purpose of raising your kids if it isn't just happiness. It is happiness sometimes. And then the other six or seven things. I've really enjoyed doing this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please share any feedback you've got, any questions you've got, any comments you've got, any challenges you have. At Rob Moore Progressive on Facebook, at Rob Progressive on Twitter. 
but email me uh, robmore at progressiveproperty.co.uk in the disruptive entrepreneurs community we've got three and a half thousand of us now but hey there are nearly three hundred thousand people that listen to this podcast so there's most of you only what what's that one percent of you are on the community so that's forward slash the disruptive entrepreneurs community in facebook so thanks a lot for being on the podcast please do share this with people in your network especially if they've got kids I can't offer life leverage anymore that I have been on some of my other podcasts because the publishers own that and that wouldn't be fair. But if you share and review the podcast, and I'm not going to do this forever, so I'll stop this in a couple of podcasts time, I will give you either Cashflow CD or Wealth Accelerator CD. Now, these are six and eight CD sets. One's called Cashflow, one's called Wealth Accelerator. They're, they're both digging, you know, deep dive into making more money, making more cash flow. Not the get rich quickie stuff, but the real sustainable stuff. I will give you a free physical set, not, not online download, physical set. If you share this podcast on your social pages and you review the podcast and then you just show me a screenshot. So thanks a lot. Tune in for part two next time. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.